I think you have to get on the same page about what a life of purpose means. Hmm. And I think like that's the beginning of that conversation because if if Frank's idea of what a purposeful life means is different than mine, then it will be really hard for both of us to have that. But if we can think about what a life of purpose means for each other, for, for ourselves, but also together, then I think, you know, you've got kind of a common vision that you're working towards. Um, it, and it's hard. Everything that's worthwhile is hard. Mm. Um, but I think, like, th- that if you can sort of get on the same page about what that even means, then, then it's definitely possible. Okay, let's do this. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. Are you ready? I'm ready. Love or work. Is anyone listening? No, don't put that on the air. These two people are really, really funny. This one made me cry. World Series champion. Around the entire world. NBA all-star. We hope you love this interview as much as we did. Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. <laughs> we are back in the studio. Oh man, I've missed this. This Jeff. is good. It's been we've done some, you know, the last couple weeks have been a little different. We we got to hear from Glenn, uh, who spoke at our at recent Plywood Presents ATL Ideas um, event. And he was incredible, so vulnerable and thankful for him. Last week we got to share a few things, but today. Today we are we back got in special, studio. special people for oh, you. Oh man, it was fun. I did want to bring up one thing. I've been doing a little research. Doing a little bit of research. Matt, I don't even, you don't even know about this, the research I've been doing. I think it's worth saying because, oh, actually, this pertains to you and my wife, Andre. I found out this um, recent study that was done that says people with tattoos are known to be more reckless. <laughs> Why are you Is bringing that, I'm this getting up? head nods from Matt. What, what do you think, Andre? Uh, okay. Well, I'm just saying. So I'm reckless. Well, I'm, this is, is that, a marriage is thing that a for problem? us. This is a marriage thing for Is that a problem, us. baby? I'm clean as a whistle over here. <laughs> but I'm curious. Clean as a whistle meaning no tattoos. No tattoos. I mean, so just in general. So therefore, I... No tattoos, no piercings. Uh-huh. So that, that's all. That's what all. do you have to say about <laughs> reckless? my recklessness? Are I mean, you, are you trying to tell me something? are a little more reckless. And I'm curious if we correlated <laughs> the recklessness of I'm tattoos obviously. overlapping... In the recklessness in marriage? What? I don't are even know what that means. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think this is just fun banter this morning. Yes. These are the types of links and articles Jeff sends me. Is like, hey, by the way, did you know that you're more reckless? <laughs> like, oh, great. As if everyone didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, or that's just my personality. One of the two. But uh, well, these whatever. two people are not reckless. They're awesome individuals. All right. So today we have Frank and Tina Fernandez. Uh, Frank is vice president of community development at the Arthur Blank Family Foundation here in Atlanta. And Tina is the executive director of Achieve Atlanta, which is a organization whose mission is to increase the amount of um, Atlanta public school students who complete post-secondary education. So, yeah, and Arthur Blank Foundation, um, Arthur Blank is the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, um, very uh, philanthropic family here in Atlanta. And um, these two people are, it was cool because I was recommended by like five random people. Yeah. And they were like, you need to interview these two people. And let's be truthful. If you're listening right now and you have someone in your mind in your spirit, you're like, Jeff and Andre need to know these people. They need to interview these people. Please, please, please message email us. us. Message yeah. us through Instagram and follow uh, what we're doing because we need more people to interview. Isn't that true? Yes. Okay. So before we get there, I want, I want people to listen for three things. Yes. The first, how does it feel to be a trailing spouse? That's a good one. It's kind of like a sad statement. <laughs> trailing spouse. Number two, how to find a husband at a dance tryout. Oh yeah. That's a good story. It's, it's better than Bumble. (laughs) 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 And number three, we talk about this question that we ask everyone about, you know, is it possible to change the world, stay in love, raise a healthy family? We ask these two, if they think that this question is rooted in privilege. They have an incredible conversation. That's at the very, very end. So you're going to want to stick, 
listening all the way way to the very end. I got my football voice going because it's back in season. We're going to go. Oh, my goodness. You are Are all over the place. Okay, so today, welcome Tina and Frank Fernandez. We both went to Harvard undergrad, and I was a senior, um, and I... I was only a sophomore. He was a sophomore. Oh. Um, so we'll start with that. And <laughs> <laughs> that you're older. Clearly. Yeah. And um, I used to run an organization called City Step, which was this dance and arts organization um, at Harvard, and we worked with Cambridge Public School elementary school kids and the whole concept was using dance and art as a form of expression and helping kids express themselves non-verbally and using art as a medium. And so it was a student-run dance company and our company was made up of people who just liked to dance, liked working with kids. Um, And then we had students produce all of the music and, you know, so that was City Set. So I had been in the organization for four years. I had run it the last two years that I was there. And we, it was co-directors, so there were five of us, and we each had a separate elementary school that we worked with. And we always had auditions at the, at the beginning of the school year. So Frank walks in to uh, one of our ad- auditions. And for your listeners, uh, he's 6'4", and at that point, probably about 225 pounds, uh, football player. Um, and <laughs> Pretty good looking. Yeah. Pretty good looking. <laughs> so, and it was, I'm feeling a little intimidated right now myself. Like, so I, I, we, I looked at my co-directors, and we all just kind of looked at each other like, what, what, is, what is this, like, right? Hello. Yeah, so he auditioned um, for the dance portion. And, wait, wait, wait. Uh, what kind of dance oh, are you doing here? Yeah. Is this like ballet? Is this hip hop? The best dance in the world. It was the best. Uh, no, it was a, a mix of hip hop, a little bit of jazz. Uh, it's really about getting kids comfortable with their bodies and just dancing and using dance as a form of expression. Yeah. But your tryout was hip hop jazz. It was a mix. You didn't have to be a professional trained dancer. You just had to like to dance, you know, and like kind of like put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, so he tried out, and so he made the cut to the next round, um, which was an interview, and. Um, I was the interviewer, and so he walked... Conveniently. Yeah, I was conveniently. So so he walked in um, to the interview, and the interview was, you know, kind of funny because he's going to try to be funny, but he's really kind of an old soul, and that came out when he was 19 years old, right? He was, like, very proper, and, um, you know, we asked him, like, so what are you going to do if you're telling, you know, a student to... um, do something and the student says like I'm not doing that and he says well I would tell them that's not how you speak to your elders (laughs) I was like what So, you know, it was just kind of like, again, <laughs> Who like, is this guy? you like, sort of look at this type and there's just no, like, you, you know, the surprises everywhere, yeah. right? So, um, so anyway, he, he made it. So he was part of the City Step company. And, um, and so then um, at Harvard, all the freshmen live in freshman dorm, but then after that you get put in a house. And I lived in Mather House and uh, as luck would have it, he got put in Mather House. So then he was in my house, and we all had a, a shared dining hall. Um, and you would eat all your meals there. So I started seeing him in the dining hall. And, you know, I'm certain that he was checking me out. He's certain- I was checking her out checking me out actually (laughs) right right you know and so you know we had this kind of like banter going um back and forth and so we were sort of flirting but you know just kind of getting to know each other and then the big thing was that um so there were these clubs at harvard which were like fraternities but they were very um you know exclusive and elitist and they didn't allow women and so at the time um all of the women on campus were like you know, we're boycotting, but women could go. You could go and party at these places, but, but you, you couldn't, couldn't belong. Be you couldn't yeah. be a member, which, you know, and there, that was like all of the networking stuff or whatever. So there's a petition going around that um, women signed saying, I will not go to the finals clubs. Um, and Frank was being 
punched for one of the clubs, which basically means like recruited, you like know, joining right, it. like yeah. rushed. And they had all these events. Um, and so one of them was this formal event and somebody told me he was going to ask me. Um, and so I hung out in the library because he studied all the time. I did not, but I was at the library because I knew that's where he would be. And I sort of was sitting there. And um, so he came and asked me if I would like to join him for a night of dinner and dancing. <laughs> so, so formal. Very proper. So, yes. And so I said yes. And I had signed the petition, but I totally like, just like, you know, uh, you left my and morals and principles <laughs> by the door. Forgets women's yeah, rights. Right, totally. He um, asked me out. Was a, yeah, basically crossed the picket line and uh, and and went to uh, went to this event with and him. And the rest is history. And the rest wow. is history. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that true? Is that how you remember it? Uh, more or less. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Uh, I think I was a little. I said I was a little cooler than the way she made me out to be. I don't know. <laughs> At least it sounded like that in my head. But uh, yeah, pretty much. And then the way we'd like to, because you know we t- we've told the story a lot. But the way that we wrap this story up is that. Um, so then we started dating, and um, you know, and it was great. Um, and fast forward like. Three or four months. Three or four months. And he's in my dorm room sitting at my desk. And my audition notebook is on my desk where I had written all the notes for the people auditioning for City Step. And, um, and so he finds his page. And I'm not paying attention. And I had just written, we can work with him. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. I I still haven't gotten over that. Permanently in the brain. Yeah. So that was pretty college. And then you got married right out of college. So, so, well, because she was uh, two years older, um, she uh, had to finish college. And so we were long distance for two years. And so she was in New York um, and, you know, I was in Cambridge and we would became really big fans of Peter Pan uh, and Greyhound. Uh, And so... I would say for those two years... Which are bus lines for bus, anybody yeah, who's, for, you know. who doesn't know what those are, yeah. Um, we, two, a minimum two, at least three weekends every month for two years, we would go back and forth between New York and Boston. Um, and then summers, we, you know, those two summers after my sophomore year, um, I was I actually stayed in Cambridge, but we saw each other a lot. Then the year after that, that summer, um, it was in New York doing an internship. And then after college, moved in together um, in New York. And she, wow. I started working and she went back to school, to law school. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so we got married when I was a second year in law school. And he, was it a full year after you graduated? Not, well, married, yeah, um, a year and a half, but engaged, uh, not even a full year. I was 22 when we got engaged, 23 when we got married. And you were 24, 25. And, tw- 24 and 25. Yeah. And you've been married now for how many years? 22 years. Two kids. Wow. Two kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we heard that this is an interesting year for one of your children. Yeah, right? so our son is a freshman in college, um, and he's going to Harvard. And so we dropped him off last week, uh, and that was just surreal. Wow. Yeah, so it's been a big shift in our home and in our family life, and, uh, you know, brings back a lot of memories, and also, you know, he's having his own experience, so it's, uh, yeah. Did you cry? Oh, yeah, and, I, you know, I may cry during this talk. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been crying a lot. This uh, is your first week yeah. in first 18 week. years yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 without your yeah. son in your house, yeah. It was really special to move him in uh, because part of, I think, what brought us together was sort of our family backgrounds. And, you know, we weren't sort of your typical Harvard student, either one of us. Uh, and I went by myself. He went by himself. And uh, our parents couldn't really take us to college. Mm-hmm. Um, both of us come from, you know, fairly modest means. And so, our you know, our parents couldn't afford to fly up with us. And so the fact that we could both be there with him... Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a big change. Yes, yeah. It was really special. Um, and help him move in and help him get everything he needed and be able to, like prepare him for what was coming and, yeah. you know, as best we could. So, yeah. So you guys are all really close I hear. And what is some like traditional family things that are just really kind of concrete, really important for you guys and what you do with family life? So, so that's something we established early with the kids. And, and I share that with a lot of folks who, who 
are having kids or have younger kids, I think it's really important to create these traditions in your house because they, they definitely kind of imprint themselves on their, their, their minds, their hearts, and they really, and it's part of what you remember. Yeah. So for us, there's like, like three or four big ones. I'd say uh, one big one is, and we've been doing this with my family for, I think going on 15, 16 years in a row where we get, we have a cousin's weekend. So it's myself and my siblings, my two cousins, we're all very close and our spouses and our kids. Um, mm-hmm. And we've gotten together every year for these 16 years for like four or five days. You know, my, most of my family is in Miami. So we've gone to the Florida Keys. We've done uh, different parts of Florida, but mostly in the Keys. And it's just about spending time with family. You know, we'll go out you know, take the kids snorkeling, go fishing and do different things, activities to the park, but really just spending time with family. And, and that's been a really, it's something the kids have, it's a big part of who they are. So mm-hmm. that's one big tradition that mm-hmm. and it keeps us close as in my family. And that's 25 people in yeah. a very small house. Wow, yeah. just cram it in. Yeah, where the kids outnumber the grownups. Um, and every year for a, probably about a decade, there was always a new kid. At, yeah, at being the, born. Yeah, yeah, being born. Um, <laughs> yeah. And now it's really special because, you know, now we've got everything from a two-year-old to an 18-year-old mm-hmm. and, you know, all ages in between. Yeah. So that's like a summer thing? that. Yeah, summer thing. Do it every summer. Uh, another big one for us that we started when we lived before moving to Atlanta, we lived in Austin. I think we've done it maybe 12 years, uh, 13 years is on January 1st, every 1st, we would go out in, in Texas. We would go out to Enchanted Rock, which is an hour and a half outside of Austin. Uh, and it's kind of like Stone Mountain is here, this big rock and we'd hike it. We'd hike to the top. It's kind of our th- first thing to get the new year started out right. We would do our resolutions. So we would do that every year in Texas, and now we do it here uh, at Stone Mountain. And when we moved, we moved to Atlanta a little over five years ago, and when we moved here, it was one of the first things we thought about, like, what are we going to do on New Year's? Because we've been going to Enchanted Rock, and lo and behold, that type of geologic mm. sort of formation structure or formation there aren't that many in the world just so happens that stone mountain is another one so (laughs) so now we do stone mountain so you do your resolutions on the top like when you get to the top is that the kind of idea no we would do it like afterward we'd go to 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 dinner or lunch depending on what time uh we got up um so yeah that's cool yeah so we have pictures with the kids of new year's day for years always you know, at the top of that hike. And that's been really great. And Frank gets all the credit for the traditions piece because that wasn't a big thing in my house. Um, We were sort of more, what do you feel like doing today? You know, Um, it was, and so this, this idea of these traditions and these things that we just do every year has actually been really meaningful and it, it wasn't something that I would have sort of suggested, you know, mm-hmm. on my own. So, And then the, the other two I, th- I would throw out there would be we try to, uh, and again, this is going to change now with my son in college, but we try to do one big trip where the four, it's the four of us and we go somewhere different and we've been able to really travel all over, you know, Europe and, and South America and other places. And those also, I think, again, create these life memories. So, you know, the big one, most recent one from my perspective was we went to um, Peru and we did the Inca Trail, the four of us, we did the four day hike. And that was a great shared experience. It was hard, it was super, you know, amazing. Um, and it kind of imprinted, again, these imprints you have uh, with your family, with the core. Um, and we, we, we were able to do, I had gotten a fellowship, this was like eight years ago, we were able to spend uh, about a month in Europe driving from Valencia all the way to Copenhagen and mm. just taking, the again, the four of us being able to experience that together. Those types of things I think are really critical in terms of just how you create that bond amongst each other and those, you know, I made up the term life memories that kind of you, you never forget. Um, mm. So that's a big one. Uh, and the last one for me is, and this dropped off in the last year or two, but we, for years we'd watch Elf every uh, holiday yes. season. <laughs> Andre's favorite holiday season. Favorite movie. I am singing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh and I goodness. think so. Those are like the big things, and then there's like these just small things that we that are I think part of like our 
values in the, the homes. And it's not always possible, but we insist that the kids support each other in their events. So my daughter's gone to countless, Lucia has gone to countless basketball tournaments and, you know, ultimate Frisbee games and, you know, watching her brother from the sidelines. And then Frankie um, has gone to lots of dance competitions and, and um, you know, tournaments, basketball tournaments, etc. And and that is, and you know, teenagers are teenagers, and like you know, you don't always want to go and just hang out in these random places, yes. you know. But but we've tried to instill in them that they sort of have an obligation to each other to be supportive, um, mm-hmm. even when it's not convenient or it's not fun. Yeah. Um, but that's just part of what you do, and you know, sometimes sometimes we succeed and sometimes we don't. But but it's something that we really try to do. Hmm. So um, both of you seem like high profile people like you have, I'm sure very driven. You guys have, um, people that expect a lot out of you that you work with. Um, and so I'm curious how that plays out in the connection with each other. So what do you guys do when your schedules conflict? I'm sure over the last, I think you said 22 years, Mm -hmm. there's been times where one of your work has taken priority or how, how have you guys wrestled through that over, over this lifespan together? I think like on the very practical side, uh, we just get really practical, right? So like he has to work late, I have to work late, or we have to travel separately or, you know, there's kids, somebody has to pick up the kids or some, you know, that kind of thing over the years. I think we're just pretty um, pragmatic about how to do that. Um, and we're really, we were, for the first 12 years of the kid's life, 12, 13 years, we were really lucky because my mom, we were in Austin, Texas, and my mom lived a couple of blocks away. Mm-hmm. And so she was a big part of that support system and, um, you know, pitched in and was sort of another parent, really. Uh, and helped when the kids were little and then when they were older when my son was in middle school the bus would drop him off at at the corner of my mom's apartment complex and he'd hang out with her and all of her friends and play roomy cube every day with you know the viejas is what we would say you know and when he was in middle school so like there was uh, there was family um to help pitch in but but then we also just got help wherever we could whether it was um you know, hiring somebody to help us clean the house or um, enlisting family members or friends. And I think the good thing for both of us is that we really do try to be fair with each other as opposed to, like, compete. Again, not always successfully, but that's just, you know, I think that's kind of our approach. Yeah. And I think it's something that has evolved over time uh, to me, in the, when the kids were younger, it was harder for a variety of different reasons. I think like the, the broad stroke is when they're younger, they're physically more exhausting. When they're older, they're psychologically more exhausting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like, we love you kids. Yeah. Um, but it's just when they're younger, it's just harder because you know, now, for example, our, our kids both can drive and one's just left the house, but they're just more self-sufficient. Uh, but then you got to be mindful of that because then you, it's easy to kind of not focus as much as you, you should. But in those early years, it definitely was that. And I think the, the other piece, and this is something I think is important that you know, Tina glossed over, is when the kids were little, she, she in terms of, you, and you said this earlier, around that she took, uh, she went part time for a, a good number of years. And it was a conscious decision where she didn't want to necessarily stay home because, and this is just the reality, it should be different, but it isn't, is that for women, if you go completely off the, get off the rat race, you, they don't hold your place. Yeah. They just, this is how it is. It shouldn't be, but that's the way it is. Back and so she, yeah. she stayed in, but she was able to not work full time and still have, keep her foot in the door and able to work. And then once the kids were a little older and better position, she can kind of ramp up again. Yeah. And I think that's an important, that's just a reality that you, I think is important to recognize that sometimes you can't, you know, can you have your cake and eat it too? Not without, no, most of the time. And for what you are able to get, you have to work really hard at it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come without intentionality and effort. Yeah, and I was uh, practicing law at a big law firm at the time when the kids were little. And it was hard to make that decision, and it wasn't hard to make that decision because I did... 
I didn't want to miss their early years. Um, and so, and I, you know, negotiated because at that time, now there are a lot of sort of better work options flexible. and, and flex, flexible yeah. leave policies. And the firm that I worked with has now a part-time policy. There, there really wasn't one at that time. And so um, I, and there was a couple of us who were having um, babies and we sort of negotiated what that would look like. And you definitely take a hit to, you know, the type of work that you get to do and this, the money piece. Um, the money piece wasn't, you know, you're still making good money, you know, if you're a lawyer. So that, I don't want to sort of overstate that, but, but compared to, you know, um, the amount of work you're doing and other factors. And so, but it was a conscious decision because I also wanted to have some time with the kids when they were little. So, um, and you know, Frank offered, uh, but I didn't want, yeah, I was going to ask about that. How did that conversation, yeah, he offered and, um, to go part-time or to stay home or what? I I had a sugar mama. I was happy. I was in, (laughs) she was making the money. I'm a a 21st century guy. She didn't want that. I, I didn't want him to be the, I wanted to be the one. And so I think it was great that he offered. And also I really wanted to be the one who had that time. Um, so, but like when the baby, when the kids were little, he, he took paternity leave with both of them. Um, so I took three months off and then went back to work. Then he took three months off and stayed with them, you know, so that they could be a little older before we handed them off. And we were lucky to be able to do that. Um, you know, we made some sacrifices, but I think like, at the end, because I've been thinking about this, you know, how do you make this work? Part of it is we both really do have similar values around the importance of family. And f- like in terms of living out our purpose, family is part of our purpose. Mm-hmm. So neither one of us has ever felt that work was our sole purpose. And so that just made it easier because we enjoy family, um, we, we, we value it, and so it was always a priority for us. The, the other thing I think that's been, was in, has been helpful for us to be able to find a balance that worked, and, and it's never been perfect, the balance, just to be clear, it kind of ebbs and flows, but is having roles that provide us with some flexibility. Because mm-hmm. so, to me, it's you know, like roles I, meaning your work roles, work yeah. roles. Okay. Where, um, yeah. So, so I've always worked a lot of hours in, in the different jobs I've had, and, and and mostly because I'm passionate about the work that I get to do. Um, but a big part of that is when and how, right? So I've always been able to have a job where I can I can go home at five thirty six o'clock and spend time with the family, and and, and for years I would work afterward at night after the kids went to bed. Um, and work on weekends sometimes, but it was on my on my schedule when it was my free time um, or when people were asleep. Um, and so that was a key thing to me is to be able to strike that that balance of flexibility and finding roles that give you that. And and that becomes when we first started we entered the workforce, you know, we, there weren't phones, there weren't laptops, there weren't any of these things that are now. So we had less of it. But as as time has progressed, you you, you can do so much from your car, from your, your house, yeah, everywhere, everywhere yeah. that being able to have that flexibility is, is is something that's there more. And I think people need to be intentional about how they use it to prioritize time. Yeah, that's been hugely. Uh, uh, impactful in our ability to, you know, try to do as much as we can is that we've both had jobs where we have autonomy. Um, and I think as our careers have progressed, have again, prioritized that type of work. Um, so I ended up leaving the law firm because as a litigator, your time is never yours because you don't know when there's going to be some, you know, some blow up and, and, you know, you've got a brief due or you've got, you know, some hearing that you weren't scheduled, you know, to have or whatever. So that wasn't going to work for how I wanted to, you know, be present in my family. And so I had to decide to make a career transition. Um, and so I worked at 
um, the University of Texas Law School for almost 10 years, and that gave me a lot more flexibility. Um, now I run a nonprofit here <laughs> in Atlanta, and one of the things I really prioritize for my team is allowing them the autonomy to be able to kind of like create the schedules that they need to be able to get their work done and also, um, you know, live the lives that they want to live with friends and family. Um, and I think the more that workspaces do that, um, just the happier they're going to have um, team members, staff members, um, et cetera. So you are a social entrepreneur. Um, you I, are yeah, the entrepreneur <laughs> of the family. Uh, so, I guess so how has that played a role with, I mean, because entrepreneurs, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, um, you know, I know you had a traditional job prior to that, yeah. but now you're kind of doing this entrepreneur thing. Yeah, it's um, it's been great. I mean, I think, so... Uh, this is another funny thing about our our relationship. We're both Gemini's, uh, and so both of us have the same kind of energy around. We like to do a bunch of different things. We like to learn a lot of different things, and then we're sort of like the opposite side. You know, the, we're like different in terms of like he's one side and I'm the other of that twin. Extrovert, introvert. Right. Let you pick which one. Right, and yeah. so, <laughs> and so, <laughs> right, and the entrepreneurial piece. I've done it, but he has too. I mean, he, when we were in Austin, he ran a, a home, homeless, organiza- homeless organization um, that he basically started, you know, from a very tiny organization and built into this really um, big, impactful, um, you know, thing. And then um, I've started programs within organizations and then um, have been the founding executive director of Achieve Atlanta. And it's just really fun. Like, I think it just speaks to our personalities Mm -hmm. um, in the sense of we like starting new things. We like uh, solving problems. uh, I ask him a lot for his advice on things. um, And he asks me, you know, for advice on things as well. So that's also like we sort of play off each other. In terms of the risk, neither one of us grew up with a lot. Hmm. And so I won't speak for Frank, but I feel like for me, a lot of times I feel like all of this is just, as as Frank likes to say, gravy on our chicken fried steak. You know, like we mm-hmm. didn't have that much and, and know that you can be happy without a lot. And so from, you know, from a financial perspective, we've been willing to make decisions that aren't just based on financial security. And, you know, sometimes that's scary, but... Um, but you know you'll be okay. You know, there's a saying in Spanish is that's basically yo no me voy a morir de hambre, which is basically I'm not going to starve. Mm-hmm. And I think we both have that mentality like you know, whatever we need to do, we're going to do it and and things will be okay and and so then that belief mm-hmm. I think gives you some freedom. Yeah. Do you feel like that part of the role or the idea with entrepreneurship too is just having one person be stable while somebody is taking the risk, somebody's going after something that might not be financially secure. Um, yeah, I think that's probably right. I don't think either of us have taken on things where we were both doing something riskier, right? Because when I was at a nonprofit, she was at a university, a large university. Um, and now I'm at a foundation and she's, you know, she's at a nonprofit. So I think, I think that's right. Um, in terms of managing that just to stay on top of it. Um, especially now since we have, uh, one child in college and another one soon thereafter. So we got it. We're, we're very obviously mindful of that. And we've been lucky. Like, so yes, I've had the, like, um, good fortune to be able to start some things, but with a lot of support. Um, you know, I have a lot of support from our funder, our, our main funder here in Atlanta. And so there, you know, there is risk, but it's also not like dire. Yeah. Like, like we're know. not mortgaging the house to, you know, be able to like do the things that we want to do. And, um, I think the, but in terms of the biggest risk that we've ever taken was when we moved to Atlanta mm-hmm. because we had, um, we had a life in Austin. We had sort of set up our situation. Our kids were thriving. We had a family close by. We both had jobs that we liked. We thought we were going to stay there forever. And then Frank got recruited for a job here in Atlanta that really kind of was this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And we we had to sort of sit and say, 
are we willing to just kind of like uproot, go uproot, all in, leave our community, in, leave our community, and like go and do something yeah. um, different? Because you don't have family here, right? Yeah, so everybody was still in Texas. And- yep. And we were coming for his job. So, so you had to so start I had, over I had to s- decide that I was going to start over. Yeah. And that was a big decision. Mm-hmm. And the first year that we were here, it was really odd for me because in, so in university, whenever you hire a professor, um, they, you typically need to find the other spouse a job as well. And so they call them the trailing spouse. And so I was <laughs> oh like, gosh. yeah, so I'm like, I'm the trailing spouse. Yeah, you felt that. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, like, what? So that was... I never thought I'd be this person. I never thought I would yeah. be this yeah. person. Um, and it, it all worked out, um, you know, beyond my wildest dreams. But that was a really difficult year um, in terms of just like... Okay, I gotta figure out who I am in this. Your new identity, world. Yeah. yeah. But it, it it was good, I think, for all of us in different ways. In that it did force us all out of our comfort zone, right? Because I think when we were in Austin, we had been there 15 years. We had a, you know jobs we liked. We we're pretty very comfortable, and it forced us to kind of. And there's been a lot of good. That's some challenge too in terms of um, you don't you don't have the same network. Uh, here that we did in, in in Austin, in all honesty, and that's you know that's hard. Um, the kids were in middle school yeah, when they say, transitioned, that's so rough. and that was um, that was hard for both of them in different ways. I remember one of my more vivid memories was when we took actually her mom was visiting, and we went with Lucia to go see the. What was, it, what was the name of that movie? It was a Pixar movie about the the girl, and it was all the feelings. Oh, yes. oh yeah, yeah. So it was this movie about uh, a family that moves, yes. and the girl is literally her our daughter's feelings. age. And I remember, I don't know, like three a third of the way of the movie, through the movie, I look over, my daughter, my mother-in-law, and my wife are all crying. Crying? <laughs> Just because it like hit home, so close to home. It was such a good movie, and so so sophisticated and nuanced in how it dealt with the emotional kind of roller coaster you go on when you have such a big transition. Um, but so yeah, so it, it was, there was definitely a lot of um, adversity to it, but it was a lot of positive too. I think, you know, for, especially for the kids who I think now consider themselves Atlantans, you know, or, or ATLians in a way that, you know, I didn't think they would ever, you know, because they're, they're so rooted in Texas and being from Austin. Mm-hmm. So married 22 years mm-hmm. and kids are starting to graduate. Yeah. You guys have ama- amazing stories of doing all different significant work. Um, I'm curious, like, how have you two stayed connected in the midst of this? Like, if you were sitting with a a, a couple that was in their first five years of marriage or, you know, committed relationship, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And you're like, man, if you want to stay the long haul, here's how we stayed connected. What advice would you give? You know, one, one thing she will say a lot, which I think is true, is that because we met so young, and I think you guys can relate to this since you met young as well, is that we've become adults together. <laughs> That's a good uh, way to say it. That's a nice way of saying <laughs> that. And, and as we all know, men take a little longer. Um, <laughs> And you know, I Brains just became need adult. Develop. I, just, <laughs> I just became an adult a couple years back. Uh, no, but in, in all seriousness, it's like you go through this process, and we, we, you know, I think for for married couples, when the kids are younger age, that's just really, really because it's physically exhausting. They take up so time consuming, take up so much of your time, you don't have enough time for yourself, and you feel like you get pulled in a million different directions. So it's hard the prioritization. So. You know, we've had our bumps. Uh, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, even though it may seem like that. Uh, it's it's not. Um, and but you have to have that long term commitment to each other and to the relationship and to the family. And also, um, and this is important because it's something we think about a lot now since we're almost empty nesters. It's a it's not just about the the four the four of us. It's about the two of us. And what do we do together now? And what are we going to do differently once the kids are gone? You know, so we went to, I told everyone and their mother, uh, two years ago, we went, or I guess a year and a half ago, we went to this conference together and they had a session on empty nesterhood. It's like the best conference session I've ever been to. It yeah. was so helpful. Yeah. We were the only couple there. There was a lot of 
people there, was, but not couples. And it was just helpful in getting us to think about all the different implications of what it means when your children leave, whether right before, when you're in the middle of it, or in terms of one kid in, one kid not, and then afterward, and how that affects the relationship you have with each other, with your children, with the broader community, because especially for parents, a lot of your your friendship, your social network is a function of your kids. They're tied to it. Yeah. And yeah. then you, you, they, that goes away. You're like, okay, well, where are we going? Who do we hang we out with? We have to go. Yeah. We're supposed to go to a, some sort of tournament right now or a concert or, or something. You, you don't have to do that. So, right. it, And so there's an intentionality you have to bring. Yeah. Mm. I think also like we, we enjoy a lot of the same things. So there's, we love Again, because we've grown, we've raised each other, basically, yeah. is what we say. You know, um, we have friends that we've had our entire lives. We love hanging out with our friends. Um, and they live all over the country, but, you know, there are people we've known since we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we still, like, you know, keep in touch. We hang out with them. You know, there mm-hmm. are some people who have been part of our life, you know, for that, you know, for the entire time that we've been together. So I think connecting with other people who also know your story and are, because other people are committed to your relationship too. Mm -hmm. And so like you want those people around. I think we've heard this a lot from friends of ours that they feel like when times are tough, they need to retreat from their friends and get their stuff figured out and then come back. But what you just said is completely different. Than yeah. That, right. Explain. Can you explain more what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is that when people have known you your whole life and then they've known you as a couple together, they also are sort of these objective observers of like how you're different than than he is. And you know, some of the dynamics or some of the things that might be clouding your perception of what's going on. Hmm. Um, and so I think like there are some key people in our lives that we, we turn to when, you know, things have been rough and, um, who have helped us kind of, uh, I don't know if just feel that connection. And I think also like there's, you know, we were both raised Catholic. We don't, we don't, we're not Catholic anymore, but there's sort of this, in the Catholic marriage, there's this concept of like, you're making a covenant with each other and with God hmm. and that, and with sort of your community. And the community, yeah. So, like we kind of buy that. I, you're you like, know. we'll stick with that yeah. still. Yeah. So like, I think that there's, uh, I think having community around you to support your marriage is actually really important. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that to that point, um, and, it varies from person to person or couple to couple in terms of how big that network is because there's you know there's these concentric circles of the people you're really close to the ones you're kind of close to and then your acquaintance and so so on and so forth but for those who are really close to you I think they to Tina's point when things are you know because I think and we've done that for them too in terms of as they're going through their stuff, they start to question kind of like, what are, what are we doing? What and, and you can say, look, we've known you since you were 19 years old. Mm. And we know, we've seen the kind of whole journey you've been on. This is part of your journey. Mm. And someone who can kind of ground it in that, I think is helpful, you know, in terms of when you can do that for others and they can do it for you. Um, because of course, you, there's certain things you need to handle just between the two of you. But sometimes having that community around you can be very helpful in terms of just kind of keep giving you perspective um, and, and just grounding it. Um, the other thing I think for us is that um, so that friends and community have helped us stay connected. We just uh, we're just really comfortable with each other, you know, hmm. so whether it's sitting next to each other watching TV or, you know, Frank does a lot of crossword puzzles <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> the face, I the face, you know, like, but like, he like. I can't believe she ratted me out. That's <laughs> so uncool. Hang on, let me get that. So crossword puzzles, key to like, connection. Right, and I'll be doing something else, but like we can just sort of be in, like in the space together. Yeah. We sort of inhabiting the same space. I think that's really important. Um, I think, um, and then the other thing is because, right, all couples have, you know, good times and bad, you know, especially over the course of a lifetime. And I think in the times that we've had, you know, some harder moments in our marriage, we've, 
each one of us has also gone off and done work on ourselves. So, you know, we all come with sort of baggage, right? Just life um, and just notions of like, I mean, we both come from very traditional Latin households that have very set gender roles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and Frank is, you know, super progressive and also like has to grapple with mm-hmm. growing up in that. that and history, I do too, yeah. you know? And so like, you know, I've gone to, th- you know, I've done my own work on myself and done therapy and figured out like, you know, my own insecurities and you know, my parents are divorced. And so, you know, like all of that sort of mm-hmm. plays into, so, you know, what does that mean? And how is that sort of manifesting itself in, in our relationship? And I've, you know, done a lot of work on myself and, you know, he, he has too. And <laughs> Family of origin. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So all that work. I love, I love the progression you just shared about like, okay, here is our past mm-hmm. that was, I, I don't know, you didn't say these words, but male-driven household. Yeah, yeah. Is that a fair, yes. if, I, if that's the yes. wrong way. So, okay. And then you guys have kind of, obviously you're, a very, you're both progressive. You're trying to change that mentality and create a home that is more rooted in partnership and right. um, equality and and. What, I'm pull it, putting a bunch of words in your mouth, but you say with me. I'm curious because you work a ton with kids, yeah, and you're thinking a lot about families and specific communities in Atlanta and developing communities. What do you think the future of that family structure is going to look like? I think there there are so many ways that you can have a help a healthy family, and so mm. many configurations of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is this is my feeling about sort of our larger society, right? So um, American culture values individualism and uh, this idea of the person and your rights and your, um, you know, uh, self-actualization, um, sure. right? And that is not the only way to be and i and i think hmm. that it sometimes when we skew too much towards the individual we forget that we're part of a larger community and that starts with the family so like my idea is that you know we have an obligation to one another and my hope for families is that we we can support families so that they are supporting each other within that first sort of primary unit and then that that extends out into you know society so mm. certain cultures you know latino cultures definitely value family and definitely. the entity um over the last couple of years i've gotten a chance to be part of a fellowship program where i've met a lot of people from china and from india and some of, and the eastern cultures where the idea of the individual it's not about the individual. It's much more about the community, you know, sort of takes mm. precedence. And and I think that it's, um, I, I just think that we could use more of that here mm. in our country. It's more of like the village mentality. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, like, and I think that's the, to me, and I don't know if this is the way it's going to go, but in terms of how I think about it, right? So we get caught up in some of the kind of culture wars around, you know, single parent, not parent, you know, gay marriage or not. And, and that's an evolving conversation. Right. But at the end of the day within, within a family unit, it's about, we need as much help as possible with connection and attention and love, hmm. right. For, especially for the kids as well as for whatever couple you have. And to me, it's not so much about getting fixated uh, as we tend to do in, in society. And this is changing around, if it's a traditional family, a single parent fam- you know, family or non-traditional, it's about connection, love and attention. And that can come in a variety of forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more we can give of that, the better from my perspective. And it kind of, that, that to me is kind of speaks to the point you're making around the village. It, it really does take a village yeah. um, to, to be able to not just raise a, a child, but to to have a community, to have something that is beyond just you, you know, that no man or woman is an island. Uh, And I think that also speaks to like, you know, more underserved communities too. I mean, that, that mentality and way you can raise a family with what you were saying is like how even like underserved communities, people in more like less affluent areas can raise healthy families with 
more support, you know, more help in the ways that right now it's like, I feel like when more affluent families are more, I don't know, when there's more wealth, it feels like you just can go silo. They commonly take, creates separation from community. You separate, become super individual. Yeah. Just more focused on what you and your family are doing and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think that is true because a lot of times when you come from a, from a community where there's scarcity, you have to help each other out. That's just part of the, how you survive. And so you, you value that, um, and you sort of experience it in a different sort of way. And so we've tried to, you know, kind of hold on to that as much as we can. I think the other thing that Frank, uh, says often, which has always stuck with me, is that you should bring out the best in your partner. So like your partner should be their best selves when they're with you. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a really interesting marker that you can use for your partner, but also for your kids, right? So like, are you, are they the best selves with you or not? And you know, right now, you know, I could probably do a little less scolding and... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, but I think, again, it's just like a, an interesting, like, way of thinking about it. Like, do do we bring out the best in each other? I'm having a little self-analyzation of my kids right now. I'm like, I don't know if I bring out my kids' best selves. We'll see. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's you know, There's let's, moments. let's say over the long term, you know, <laughs> but like, but at least with your partner, you yeah. know, like, oh, totally. I think it's a, it's a good way of thinking about it. Yes. Yeah. We have come to the last question. I could ask these two questions all day long. I know. I could like just keep going. Uh, is it possible to both pursue your purposes, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? I would say yes with qualifiers. I think you can, but it may not always be on the same timelines. It's not going to be in the same way. Uh, there has to be sacrifice, um, there has to be in intentionality, and there has to be um, empathy. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, really hard. Uh, but I think, and it's not going to be perfect, it never is, but I think you, you, can, you can find a balance that works. Um, but yeah, you have to, you, it's not going to have, it doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. I don't think it's as hard as Frank does, but you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All kidding aside. Here's why I say that. I think it is absolutely possible. I think you have to get on the same page about what a life of purpose means. Hmm. And I think like, that's the beginning of that conversation because if if Frank's idea of what a purposeful life means is different than mine, then it will be really hard for both of us to have that. But if we can think about what a life of purpose means for each other, for, for ourselves, but also together, then I think, you know, You've got kind of a common vision that you're working towards, um, it, and it's hard. Everything that's worthwhile is hard. Mm. Um, but I think like th- that if you can sort of get on the same page about what that even means, then then it's definitely possible. Do you guys think this is like a privileged question, like a question that you can that is more like yes, privilege? yeah, definitely, definitely. the The reality is for most folks. It's kind of like your hierarchy of needs, and this is yeah. something where it's a you know to use another term, a champagne problem. Like to have is that you can actually think about how you balance this, because for a lot of folks you don't have that choice. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that is a it brings up a point point because we've been talking about privilege a lot with our children mm. because they have a lot more privilege than either of us did as kids and. We've always struggled this with this question with our kids is that we don't want them to manufacture suffering, even though we know that played an integral role in helping to shape us in good and bad ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know it's an important part of life. Um, so part of what we try to, to do is distinguish, say, look, you, you are privileged. You can't you, because your parents have are able to do things that we weren't able to do and provide you with uh, opportunities and all these other things that most people in the world don't have. So you're privileged. And you've got to know that and own that. 
but I don't want you to be entitled, which to me is an important nuance in terms of just that you take it for granted, you think you deserve it. You have it by grace. You did not earn this. Right. You gotta own that, recognize that, and pass that forward. I think it is a question of privilege for sure. And when you, you know, if you don't have physical health, if you're, if you have mental health issues that have, that, you know, you've never been able to access health care for, it's really hard to, you know, sort of mm. like be out, sort of just outside of survival mode. But I don't think it's a question of money. Um, and so I want to just like make that distinction because, and the person that comes to my mind is my mom, you know, mm. like. She, if there's anybody who has led a life of purpose, it's her, and it's taking care of other people, and mm. in the way that she knows how to, and and you know she, I wouldn't ever you know say that she's like she grew up privileged, right. um, yeah. but she has a life of purpose. Yeah. So so I think that there's um, it is a privilege to be able to seek your purpose, and again like privilege doesn't doesn't just mean financial security. There's a bunch of other things that go into that. Right. Yeah. And now it's time for the breakdown. You are in a mood today. Not really. Is it a mood or am I just bringing the fire? (laughs) All right. What did you learn from Frank and Tina? (laughs) Well, I learned I learned a lot. I um, there's always something special when you're with people that have kind of lived a, a little bit longer than you. Not I'm not I, I mean they're just they're a step ahead of us, especially with their kids. So like this idea that they're they're transitioning their kids into college, I think they're in a really special time for refre- reflection. And one of the things at the very end that Frank was saying that I really I was just thinking a lot about that they've talked about at length. We don't want to manufacture suffering for our kids, but we want our kids to understand it because it played such a role in our lives. Hmm. Yeah. In contrast to, um, you know, the privilege that our kids are experiencing in contrast to entitlement that so many of the emerging generations are feeling, well, what? I like how you made a distinction between privilege and entitlement. Yeah. And the idea of manufacturing suffering. Yeah. Like, it's like, well, they, their lives are not in suffering. Like, no. that's truth. But, like, how do we make sure that they have glimpses of it and understand it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think part of it, too, is maybe you don't have suffering, but you can have, like, realistic consequences, allowing allowing the consequences to happen that are supposed to happen for decisions children make, Mm. right? So letting them feel the consequences of a decision that might have not been the best decision, but they get... That they chose. That they chose. So let them feel it. So it might not be suffering, but maybe that's a way that kids can kind of learn that kind of same philosophy. It's good. I loved her Latin roots. When she started speaking Spanish to me and I didn't understand it, she, her Spanish is fast. I love it. And you might not know this about me. I'm not uh, fluent in Spanish. Oh, we all know that. Okay. But what's interesting is when we're in Spanish-speaking countries, I understand a lot of Spanish, but her Spanish was so fast. You I just could, your, your mouth just dropped open. Like, you didn't have a clue It was what amazing. She just said. I loved it. I wanted her to keep speaking in Spanish, but... Anyway, I liked when she talked about getting on the same page of what a life of purpose means. Mm. I like when she talked about that. You know, I think that's the big thing is if you and your partner are on the same page of what you want your future life to look like, is it going to be going after, you know, moving up the ranks in your jobs and making that your priority? Is it going to be a life focused on family and friends and community? Like what? What do you want that to look like in your future will make a difference. It's hard to figure that out, though. It's hard to figure out, like, I think the contrast happens when we, when we have different views of what that purpose is, and that's too common. But what, yeah. what the problem is, when you have two different purposes of what, where you're headed, and you're not, you're not openly talking about that, then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're creating lives where you're, you're pursuing Just, two separate things, right? Parallel lives. Parallel lives. 
Yes. Not intersected lives. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Um, are kids living their best selves with you? <laughs> it's so interesting. I, I loved what she said because we've talked about that with our marriage. Like how do we, like I think that you see the best in me and I see the best in you and there's a comfort level. They were referring to this when we are together. When you add children in, how do you make sure that they have that same level of comfort and that they're having the chance to live their best selves? Oftentimes I think in a family context, you get so comfortable that sometimes the worst side of you starts to come out. And you know what? I think that's okay because I think that's an authentic place. Like, you know, let's go back to young moms when, uh, when you have kids in school and daycare, whatever it is. Right. Sure. You always get this report from the teacher that they're like amazing all at school and all of these things. And then they come home and they like burst into tears and are just a mess all night at home with you and just emotionally, you know, and I think it speaks to that, that they feel that there is a space like they had to hold their tears or hold their emotions in all day at school. And when they do come home, they feel that sense of trust and relaxed space that they can be themselves. And if that means crying, they can cry, you know? So I think, I think there's a little bit of both in that. Um, but allowing kids to be their authentic selves, um, is and, the key. and letting your partner be their, their authentic self. We had this conversation earlier this week. It doesn't matter. The topic doesn't matter, but I said something that offended you and and I had, and there was two different responses we had in that moment. You were like, well, you should never say that to me. And I wanted to say, well, but I want to tell you honestly what I'm thinking. And it was interesting because I, um, I think we both grew through that moment, both of us, to kind of go, I have to be aware of what I'm saying, but also you have to be aware that I should have the freedom to say some things. So it was like, and I don't think either one of us were right or wrong. It was like, oh, we need to make sure that we have that freedom to be ourselves with one another. Mm-hmm. So um, I've thought a lot about that since our conversation. <laughs> Always bringing in our fights. And maybe I was wrong. You were, but we'll move on. <laughs> I have one last thing that I want to share that I think is a great close to this, which relates to our conversation we were just having about growing together. We became adults together. Yeah. That is our story. Yeah. And that is their story. And I think that's part of the story of marriage. Yeah. Is growing, continuously growing, and learning together. Yeah. That's another episode of Love or Work. We're so thankful that you were here. Hit us up on Instagram at Love or Work. Have a great week. This episode was produced by DJ Obdiggy for Soul Graffiti Productions.